right, all right, here we go. This is the NBA Dream Podcast for RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm your host, Sleepy J, joined once again by NBA betting expert, got Mackenzie Rivers in the house. Mackenzie and I, we're going to go ahead, we're going to cover, let's just talk some NBA series, Mac, and uh, we'll kind of drill down on maybe like one big thing, maybe two big things. But we don't want to get too heavy and, you know, giving out a ton of best bets and, and wagers we're considering just yet. You got a podcast coming up with RJ on Thursday night. You just did a podcast with uh, AJ and, and Fez and, and Scott, and you covered a lot of wagers in that one. So if you guys haven't tuned into that yet, make sure you guys do that. Playoffs are starting. Uh, we just added another game wrap up there. The Bulls ended up taking out the Toronto Raptors. So they're going to be in. Uh, a game here against Miami. That game will be Thursday night. Current line on that game right now, the Heat, minus four and a half at home. So playoffs are taking shape right now. We got the Pelicans. We got the Thunder. They're currently in action. I'm just curious how you're feeling right now about everything. Finally, regular season's over. You and I get to go ahead and talk NBA playoff basketball. Anything sticking out to you over the first couple of days of these playing games? Intensity. Intensity is the name of the game, and this is why I love this time of year. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's who's going to perform better on that day in advance. And uh, I thought we've had really good games so far. Timberwolves-Lakers ended a little bit of controversy, but I think the better team won at the end of the day as poorly as the Lakers played in the first half. And uh, this Bulls team, I've been down on them all season, but what a second-half comeback. What a performance from Zach Levine. What a performance from DeMar DeRozan's daughter, who, if you were listening to the broadcast, screamed each and every Raptors free throw causing them to miss 18 out of their 36 about. And uh, I've never seen anything like it. Probably the number one fan intervention I've ever seen in an NBA game. Uh, they, 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 they couldn't time the scream. It was kind of a, a staccato screech at different points. And it, and it was uh, instrumental, that and Levine, Levine's hot shooting, instrumental in the Bulls' comeback. Uh, it's just a fun time of year. That's, that's my main takeaway. I love basketball. I love professional basketball, but... The machinations and the in and out of the NBA regular season can can drag on. So this is it. We got two months, champion crowned in June. Let's go. This is my favorite time of year. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited for this time of year. But you know one thing, Mac, and I kind of had to take a, a, a breather the other day. So I'm sitting there and I'm going through all the season stuff and I'm looking through the regular season. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I felt like I was kind of wasting my time because this is a completely different season. I don't want to say these teams are completely different, but their their mindset right now is motivation. Go, 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 win, win, win. But it's hard for me to go ahead and trust a lot of the season stats and to go ahead and really put those in the context of like what we might see on the floor in the playoffs. Now, how many times have we seen players sit out, guys that had, you know, jammed fingers or hangnails, and it's like, oh, he's out three games. And then he comes back and then another guy goes out and it's like, at some point, I think we have to start grading the team and giving them grades on, you know, how long did this team actually play together? You know, if you, if you played, you know, let's just say 72 of 82 games together, you know, you get an A. And some of these teams, they haven't even played half the season together. Some of these teams, believe it or not, like take the Warriors, for instance, you know, they have new players coming in, guys that were out for 20 games. Wiggins was out for 20 games. He's going to come back. So I think you, you do have to make some type of an adjustment, but it's more of like a forecast of, you know, who this team is right now and can we really take anything from the regular season stat-wise because I do think that some of these teams are going to look drastically different when the playoffs actually start. 
So I don't know if you put a whole lot of stock into that, but this is something I would like to do for next year's, you know, start grading the team. Yeah. And this is a solid starting point, but let's say we come to the conclusion that no, this team, this Brooklyn Nets team is nothing like their season stats. Uh, we should throw them all out. Now, how do we build back up our power rating them? And how do, how do we become confident in what we think of them going forward? It's a shifting target. And uh, it's also changed in recent history. So I did this study. We have a, a database at pregame research of every NBA team from 1994 to present, what their expectations were coming in, their Vegas future title odds, their Vegas over-unders, and then their performance, their ATS performance or straight-up performance. And finally, how far did they advance in the playoffs and did they win the championship? And uh, it confirmed a lot of my theories when I broke up, all right, I called it the Jordan-Kobe era, 94, which is as far as back as our win total information goes, otherwise I would have gone farther, to 2014. Uh, you know, Kobe's last year in, under the sun. If you looked at that and you looked at uh, two different correlations, how did wins correlate to success and how did wins versus Vegas expectations correlate to success? Uh, if you beat what Vegas thought of you coming into the season, if you had a better wins than their win total expected you, uh, you had a 16, it was 16% correlated to advancement in the playoffs during the Kobe MJ era. If you look at the modern era, 2015 and on, 7%. It's less than cut in half. And then I did the ultra-modern era, last five years, because I think this, this effect of playoffs being you know, a whole new animal, not even really part of the same consideration as the regular season, it's only 3%, where your, your wins correlated to success, but less so than in the past, and much less so compared to Vegas expectations, where, in fact, if you beat Vegas expectations, you have a less of a shot at winning a championship in the ultra-modern era the last five years than if you actually did worse against Vegas expectations. Maybe that's exertion. I'm thinking of the 72 Warriors team or 73-win Warriors team that killed Vegas expectations, won all these games in the regular season, didn't mean that much come playoff time. And uh, now that, you know, all that information, again, it's a starting point, all that information kind of tells me, okay, well, you know, take the Warriors' road record with a grain of salt. You know, take the Nets being the sixth best seed in the Eastern Conference with a grain of salt. Now the fun work begins. Now I'm looking at these players on a, you know, five-year time horizon, where they are in their careers, how they've been meshing recently, last couple weeks, this season in general. But uh, it's fun and it's difficult because you're right. I think a lot of a lot of what we just saw over the last five months was uh, window dressing uh, to the real action coming up. So let me ask you this then. Now that we have playing – and go back, you know, go back a couple of years ago to where eight teams got in. Do you feel like the regular season means less to these teams now or actually more? I think in general, less. I think if you're the seventh seed, maybe the end of the regular season matters more. But um, I think, you know, there's a fear of, of not being into the final 16. You don't really have that fear when there's 20 out of 30 teams that are going to make it. Um, so I feel like with their injuries and, different things going forward. I think the Clippers would have been very different over the course of 82 games if they didn't have that benefit of knowing, well, worst case scenario, we win a couple games, we're still in the playoffs. Same with the Lakers. Um, so in, I think less until it gets to uh, squeaky bum time the last couple weeks of the season, you got to turn it on. But, you know, most of the teams aren't in that position where they have to turn it on, uh, me meaning it matters overall less, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm kind of with you with that, too. I am going to put a little bit more thought into it and kind of, I believe if I know the motivation, then at least, at least I have a better, a better idea what these teams might be thinking or doing, you know, coming down the stretch. 
I do want to ask you something though, when it comes to, you know, the new setup. So, you know, we've only been in this, what now, Mac, two years now with the playing game. Yes. There was a, a play in ish style tournament in the bubble, but I don't think anyone counts that uh proper play in tournament with a 16 team bracket has really existed for the past two years. This being the third. Okay. So here's something that I was thinking, and, and I don't even know if I'm right on this, but I brought this up. Um, and, and I kind of just want to know if, if this makes sense to you. Like, these teams now, in, in a sense, are on, like, a bye week, right? Like, Philly, they haven't played in a week. Cavs, the Warriors, the Suns. Like, these teams have, in, in my opinion, have, have had, like, a bye week. And I think it's probably done some good, you know, for certain teams out there, especially, like, a team like the Warriors who, you know, they just reintroduced Gary Payton to, to the team. You know, Wiggins was out for 21 games. He's going to come back, so certainly a team like that you know, would have some benefit, you know, guys that were going, you know, all season long, like a guy like Joel Embiid, you know, MVP of the, of the league, you know, that guy at times, you know, can go ahead and, and get banged up and, and need, you know, need a little bit of a break. So I'm not sure how you feel about this, but this was kind of what I was thinking is that the home court advantage is probably less in game one because some of these teams that are coming in on the road have actually had a bye week. Like I think if it was, you know, right back, right into the playoffs, end of the regular season. You know, you get your two, three days off. Boom! Now you're hitting the road. But somebody like the Warriors, I'll just take them as an example. You know, older team. Maybe they need to go in and get some key pieces kind of lined up. Like I was talking about Wiggins, Payton, whatever the case might be. You know, now they don't. Well, they're lucky they don't have to go very far. They're only going to Sacramento. But do you feel like the home court advantage for a lot of these teams, if not all of them, especially if they're hosting a team that had a week off? kind of takes away a little bit of that home court advantage. I like that theory. I like that theory. It has my wheels turning. Um, so if we look over the last five seasons at just game ones for the home team, uh, you've done well, 48 and 40 ATS. But here's a, a, I don't know if it's a wise guy secret or just a general tendency that, you know, me and other wise guys have, have looked at. Let's say you're a home team and you've lost game one. Those teams are 18 and eight over the last five seasons. So favorites have done well in general in the playoffs as totals have gone up. Points have mattered less. Teams generally tend to cover, uh, you know, those short lines. So favorites in the playoffs have done really well, 50% over the last five years. But if you just look at game two, home teams, you're cashing 64% of the time and home teams off a loss, 18 and eight, 70% ATS. All right. So game one has been good. Game two has been great for the home team. Uh, I don't want to go out and just say, I'm just going to blanket bet, you know, all the road teams, but I think that it's something that we should at least consider, you know, that these, that these teams that are coming in off of a buy going down the road uh, might actually have a little bit of value. So, you know, if you're kind of a little squeamish and you're, and you're kind of looking at the dog, you know, maybe that's something that, that might actually help you out, you know, making your decision with that. Well, let's, let's stick on that point real quick because you talk about the bye week that most teams get, uh, the few teams that don't get the bye week, um, like the Lakers, are in a very particular situation that hasn't been kind to them in this new playoff format. So there's been four teams to advance through the play-in. Those teams in round one, 10 and 32 straight up, 14 and 28 ATS. If you're just flipping coins and you're trying to get 28 out of 42 to go heads or tails, there's a 2% chance of that happening. So there's 2% chance that it's just random luck and there's a 90 8% chance that teams in the play and have a significant disadvantage. Uh, so look to play against them. Look, it's kind of like the NFL playoffs teams with the bye week have the advantage teams that played in the wild card round 
significant disadvantage. I don't think the market fully appreciates that yet. All right. Well, we'll have to go ahead and keep an eye on that and see if that ends up uh, taking shape once again this season. Let's go. Let's talk some of these series over there, Mac. I want to talk about Philadelphia first. I'll take these off of FanDuel. Philly right now minus 800 against Brooklyn. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Brooklyn's life to win this. I'm not going to tell you that Brooklyn's going to win this. But what I will say is I actually think that Brooklyn is undervalued. And, look, I think that we talked about these guys maybe right around the trade deadline, Mac. And we talked about, boy, is this like this team's really deep. Like not only is our first wave deep, their second wave's deep. And even going into their third, you know, their, their third string guys, they, they were kind of deep too. And I talked about how, you know, maybe they were like a band of brothers that were just disrespected. They were thrown off all these teams and they all met up in Brooklyn. We know what happened in Brooklyn. Didn't work. KD, not there. Kyrie, gone. Harden, on Philly. So it just, like, things didn't work out for Brooklyn. But I feel like this team uh, is still feeling like they're disrespected in a way. Uh, I feel like this team's playing with house money, that they have enough guys go out there and be competitive. If they were that bad, Mac, I think they would have ended up in the playing game. And they, they didn't, obviously. They're a sixth seed. But look, I, I think that a lot of these Brooklyn Net players actually know James Harden. They, they know how to get after him. Uh, They've seen him before, like, like Dinwiddie. Like Dinwiddie was on that team at one point, and then he ended up getting ditched. But he's back. You know, Cam Thomas is there. Like these players know Harden. So if I'm looking to fade anybody in this series, a particular player, uh, it's probably going to be James Harden. I think Philly's very good. I think that the Nets could struggle with somebody like Embiid. But I do think that Brooklyn is a pretty good defensive team overall. I would not be surprised if Brooklyn stole one game here. I wouldn't rule out two. I think that that might be a little bit of a stretch. But I think these game lines, Mac, are a little bit too high. I see right now Philadelphia's laying like nine points. I would be inclined to go ahead and take the dog just because I feel like this is a team that's that's playing with house money, disrespected. Nobody's looking at them. I haven't heard anybody even talk positive about Brooklyn yet. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, Mr. Positive, let's go and, and take a look at, at, at the dirty dog here. But I think that they're being undervalued just because this team's been thrown in the trash. This team was thrown in the trash when they had the best players in the league on them. This team was in the trash then. But now it's just like this team's just completely disregarded. They don't stand a chance, and I think that that's a mistake. And look, if you want to bet Philly, go ahead and bet Philly. Bet them for the series if you want to. But I would be careful on a game-by-game basis. The books know that everybody's, at least the public, they're going to come hammering on Philly because they think they're just going to roll right over this team for nothing. I don't think that's going to happen, Mac. I'm in two minds of this. Uh, I do think the Nets are have no chance. And I do think, um, you know, the Sixers here, minus 800. We do a five-book consensus at pregame.com. Uh, minus 800 is the best number you're going to get. Minus 910 at Bet Online. Minus 887 at Pinnacle, which is a book that's generally right down the middle. So minus 800 is cheap, and I think when you look at it compared to Celtics-Hawks or even when you see how close it is to um, Suns-Clippers, I mean, Clippers-Suns only minus 500, minus 800 for the Sixers, but I just think it's a different kind of series where if you look at Brooklyn since the All-Star break, yeah, they used to have the best players in the league, and they've kind of been disregarded because they no longer have that. They've also gotten a lot of credit for how hard they've played for Mikhail Bridges coming up. People have said they won the Suns trade because Mikhail Bridges is scoring 25 a game. 
if you look at since the trade on February 9th, Nets have the 22nd best net rating in the league. Number 21, the Dallas Mavericks. So Kyrie's team, as disappointing as that has been, has been slightly better on a per-game basis than the Nets. Uh, I think they're you know, probably like an eighth-seed talent, and they got a couple more wins because they had uh, you know, Durant and Kyrie for most of the season. So that's why I think they're in the position where they're in. And um, you know, the Sixers have played this team four times. Only twice did they have Embiid and Harden, and they won. You know, four times they won. They beat. They won this matchup by eleven points per game. Covered three out of the four times. I think they're actually more cohesive than the Nets at this point. They have actually been through some playoff wars. They started off slowly last year's playoffs. I think that gives them motivation to uh, turn it on early. So I would be surprised if this goes six. Uh, if this goes six, I think this is a four or five game series. Did I hear you correctly? You think that this team is maybe like an eight seed team? Let's just replay this entire regular season over with this group of guys. Do they even make the play-in? Because Brooklyn at one point, and this was when Durant and Kyrie and those guys were healthy, like they rattled off like 18 out of 18 wins out of like 20 games or something like that. Like I can't I can't see this team doing that. But then when I look back at the end of the year, you know, when Kyrie was gone and Durant was gone, like it looked like they beat like a lot of bad teams, and that that's a concern for me as well. But I do think there's a particular motivation there. I don't know if this team even gets in, or maybe were they just lucky that they had this big buffer that that Kyrie and KD gave them, and they just so how you know managed to go ahead and squeeze out some games against bad teams. Look, this team could get steamrolled, and maybe and maybe that's maybe that's what's going to happen. So obviously that's why we're talking through this. But I don't know if this is an actual I don't know if this is an actual playoff team or even a playing team for that matter. No, I think you're right. I think probably tenth in the East, right there with the Bulls or the Raptors would be their destiny if uh, if you replayed this season with the current roster. Uh they don't have a lot of talent. They don't have a lot of scoring options out of Mikhail Bridges. Um and they actually have a lot of like B kinda Spencer Dinwoody, Dorian Finney Smith, but that doesn't win you a lot of games against uh, you know, in, in a pretty deep Eastern conference. So Maybe because the Sixers started off slow, maybe because of uh, kind of the good good feeling that the Nets have that might not be warranted if you look at their underlying statistics. People are like, oh, yeah, they turned it around. Maybe they didn't really turn it around as much as they played to their talent when their talent got depleted and they actually had a little easier of a schedule, got some wins, made it into the sixth seed. So the more I, the more I talk this through, I think the Sixers have a statement to make here. And uh, nine does seem like a lot in opening day game one. Uh, especially if we, t- as we talk about home teams generally do better, especially in the first round, by the way, I looked it up, uh, almost 50, 50 home teams do great in the playoffs, great in game ones, but round one game one, not so hot the last few years, probably because of this, uh, extra rest that you're talking about. So maybe I, I keep my, uh, powder cool for game one, but I'll be looking to attack the Sixers here. I think, I think they got a good edge. I think they got motivation for margin here. The only thing that worries me about Philly going into game one is, what are they looking at, Mac? Like, this isn't a team that's thinking anything else but Eastern Conference Finals, Finals, or Champions. Like, that's it. Like, that's got to be where their mindset's at or bust. And I think that they come into this game, and this is just my opinion, that they come in and they, they completely overlook Brooklyn, that they're looking further on down the horizon, that if they're reading the newspaper clippings, that they're just looking at this team like, yeah, we're going to blow right through this team. So I think Philly is is more vulnerable in game one than any other game in this entire series, no matter how long it goes. 
I would be a buyer of Brooklyn in game one. I would actually take the nine points. I don't want to say they're going to upset them, but I think the nine is, is too much. If my thinking's correct here, thinking that, that the, the Nets are undervalued, then there should be no reason why I don't bet them. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do that. And I think this team's underrated you know, from a defensive standpoint. You know, you got guys out there that were defensive player of the year candidates. You got, you know, Mikel Bridges is out there. Claxton's out there. Uh, you know, Royce O'Neal's still very good. The Nets could end up getting hot, and we've seen that before where Dinwiddie and Bridges, you know, guys like Joe Harris are out there. I mean, this team, I think, could be a thorn in Philly's side and just maybe pushes them each and every game. Maybe we don't see a bunch of blowouts here. So I'll, I'll take the nine points. I'm going to go ahead and, and take a leap of faith here with the Brooklyn in game one. So that I'll give that out. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Again, if I was looking at this series, I would wait for Brooklyn maybe to, or for Philly to maybe lose a game and uh, get them on the bounce back spot. Looking at their season series, I think the most telling game is February 11th. This was two days after the trade. Mikhail Bridges is there. Dinwiddie's there. And the Sixers were two-point favorites at Brooklyn. So we do the home court switch. Uh, Six-point advantage towards Philly. That makes Philly an eight-point favorite. They end up winning that game by three, but that doesn't matter. It's just one result. But the market said right after this trade, the Sixers are eight points better than the Nets. So how much have the Nets proved and improved since that date? Uh, probably enough where it shouldn't be nine. It probably shouldn't have gone the other direction. So that makes sense there. It does seem a little inflated from that point of view. All right. Well, I dig that. Let's stay in the East there, Mac. Let's talk about the Cavs. Current series price right now on FanDuel, Cavs minus 205 against the New York Knicks. This was a team that when we did a podcast, I don't know, maybe it was a month or two ago, we said, you know, what's one team that has some pretty decent long odds that we would take and consider as being an NBA champion? And when we talked about the Cavs, I don't remember what their odds were at that time, Mac. I think they were somewhere around maybe like 35 or 45 to 1. One thing about this Cavs team, they've been 20 and 9 since February the 1st. If you match them up statistically against all the other teams in the league, like this team is kind of off the charts. I, mean, I don't want to sit here and pound my chest, but, you know, I had UConn going to the title game. Nice. And I'm a big stats guy when it comes to college basketball. And I think that certain stats for certain teams are true. And I don't want to sit here and say that the NBA stats aren't true, but I think a lot of the NBA stats are actual. They're just trash. And a lot of it is because these players don't play like the college kids do. Those college kids are on the court every single night. If they're healthy enough to go out there and play, they're playing. So when I look at at a team like UConn, they remind me of a team in Cleveland. Because Cleveland across the board, statistic-wise, they've been doing this all year long. And I don't think that, that they've had massive injuries where you know, a ton of guys miss so much time, guys just sitting out. Like, this team was going, like, right from the gate. Like, I think that, you know, when when this team was assembled, they wanted to see how good they can be and how good they can get. So I actually trust what I see with the Cavs stats there, Mac. You could talk about the stats if you want to, but in my opinion, I would be careful fading Cleveland. And, look, this is a series I think a lot of people might actually go and take the Knicks because the Knicks aren't that bad of a ball club either. But I think – the longer that Cleveland stays in this tournament, the more dangerous that they become. Because I think that those stats eventually prove right. And it, it's like, you know what? This team could beat you on the offensive side. They could beat you on the defensive side. They could beat you at the three-point line, free throw line, in the paint, defense, coaching, whatever it might be. When you have stats that are that good, it's hard to beat a team like that. It's hard to find 
um, holes in their game. Um, they, they, and I don't want to say they're bulletproof, but that's kind of what UConn looked like when they were playing all the teams that they played. Now I get it. They, they you know, they played a lot of, uh, let's just say not the greatest teams out there in college basketball, but they were blowing teams out because they had all their bases covered. And that's the way I feel about the Cavs. I feel like they have pretty much all their bases covered. I'm not sure what you think about Donovan Mitchell there, Mac, in the playoffs. We've seen, uh, you know, with Utah kind of crumble at times. And sometimes, you know, he goes out there and he has these amazing games. So that's kind of, you know, kind of broad strokes of, of where I feel right now with the Cavs. I would pick them minus 205 to win the series. I think the Knicks will, will push them and I think it's going to be good for them. But any other team that sees them, it's not going to be a picnic. And I think eventually, you know, the stats could prove true. And look, they could take down maybe a Philly. They might be able to take down Boston or Milwaukee. I don't rule that out. So I think, you know, if Cleveland gets passed here and they look like they struggle against the Knicks, because I think the Knicks, in, in a sense, could be a, it could be one of the tougher matchups for them. Kind of talked through that uh, in my own head there, Mac. But if anything stuck out for you with the Cavs, I'll let you go ahead and have the floor. Yeah, I think you hit a lot of the points that uh, are, are needed to be made here. Number one, it is a good matchup for the Knicks. They're 3-1, and one, uh, straight up in ATS versus Cleveland. And Julius Randle's questionable for this game, but he was announced out. He was a late scratch on their March 31st matchup. And how did the Knicks respond? Well, they won in Cleveland, covered easily, won by 14. But Jalen Brunson had his career-high 48 points versus this exact Knicks team in the exact situation where Julius Randle wasn't going to be able to be there. He's kind of a uh, he's a controversial player. A lot of Knicks fans love him. They they think he's a talisman. They think he's like their all star. I think he's another player. I think he's a rotation guy. So one way I'm looking at this matchup is if Julius Randle and he's questionable, he probably should get play game one. If he's announced out or if there's some negative news with him, I think the market's going to overreact to that particular news. But to pull it back and just talk about the Cavs in general, I think their numbers have a big asterisk next to them by that I mean this if it was just this team that had great stats and their clutch rating wasn't that good and their standings record wasn't that good I'd say you know over a large sample size statistics tell us margin matters more than record this team is probably better than their record shows however if there was any other team that was very good offensively very good defensively very consistent had great margins in the regular season of the last five years and then underperformed in the playoffs, I think it would be Donovan Mitchell's Utah Jazz. And we've seen Rudy Gobert also leave Utah and have his problems and maybe not be part of a winning conglomerate there in Minnesota. But a lot of it comes back to Donovan Mitchell and the shot selection he takes late in games and the hero ball that he plays late in games. And it hasn't worked in the playoffs. And you look at his season stats or his playoff career stats, they're not bad. They're not great, but they're not bad. 28 points per game, that's good. 43% shooting, eh. Not so good. That's why I could see the Cavs maybe beating the Knicks and maybe going on to upsetting the Sixers. I can't see them consistently beating a Jason Tatum, a Giannis. I can't see them winning series after series where Donovan Mitchell is going to have to be that guy. Because let's look at it. Let's look at it a little more granularly. Donovan Mitchell's playoff career. He had one series, seven game loss to the Nuggets that stands out as an all time special series for any guard. Put him on the map. 23-year-old kid doing things like Luka Doncic against the Clippers. Just stop everything you're doing. What is this kid doing type numbers? 36 points per game, 53% shooting. That's one series, though. It's one series that was played, I believe, at Disney World. 
if I'm not if I'm not uh, if I'm not incorrect, if I'm not misinformed. Um, Simpsons reference, yeah, not very representative of the rest of his playoff career. Where home and road fans and traveling uh, and all of that comes into the environment, comes into play. So if we just take that out, that one series where yeah, he was special. Him and uh, Jamal Murray, Murray and Mitchell, the old uh, law law duo, were going at it in the bubble. If you just take that out, though, the seven games, his shooting goes down to 40% in his career, 26 points per game. That's kind of the kind of guy that shoots you out of a series. So against the Knicks, they don't really have a guy that's going to go mano a mano and challenge Donovan Mitchell, but the tendencies down the stretch I'll be looking for, because they have a very balanced team and they haven't shown it late in games. When that happens, again, to a Donovan Mitchell-led team, Fingers going to be start pointing in his direction. All right, so let's do a crazy little hypothetical here, Mac. I think you'll enjoy this one. This Cleveland Cavaliers team with Donovan Mitchell versus the Utah Jazz Donovan Mitchell team. Mm. Which team would you favor and why? You know, the Jazz had better stats. They had better underlying stats. They had the number one record in the West last time they made the playoffs. They had great margin. But I think it was a little bit too Mitchell dependent where it wasn't bad luck that things kind of – grind to a halt in the playoffs. And I think J.B. Bickerstaff and the way the Cavs run their their operation, Darius Garland being that second guard, I feel like they're more balanced. And whether that translates to the guard, and if he's able to play within that system, we'll see. But I think they're at least set up to be more balanced. So I would actually take this Cavs team over that Jazz team. What say you? I'm with you 100%. I think that there were a lot of issues with, with that Utah team. I you know, it's funny, like, we just saw what happened this week with Rudy Gobert, right? Yeah. You know, he ends up getting in a fight, getting suspended. And you got to wonder, like, how toxic that might have been. Who was their point guard on that team? Was it Conley? Yep, Mike Conley. And then I get Garland, and I feel comfortable with that. You didn't have to cater to, you know, guys like Bogdanovich and guys like Gobert. Like, it, I don't know, I just it, this team just feels uh, a lot more younger, a lot more athletic, a lot more together. And look, I get it. Like, you know, the Jazz won. Like, they had a very good record. And I think a lot of that was due to that that was a very good roster. But this is a very good roster, too. I feel like those teams are, I don't want to say similar in a sense, but I just feel like Mitchell feels more at home here. Um, But when a player wants out of somewhere, and I believe he wanted out of Utah, um, and you get your wish and you get to go somewhere else, especially like a team like this, it's not like he went to like a bottom feeder team. Yeah. Um, That he's going to have a lot to prove, but. Like you were talking about, like it's not all going to be on his shoulders. He's got guys out there. Like Mobley can go out there and do his thing. Jared Allen could go out there and be dominant. You know, Garland, Mitchell. So I feel like this team is is so much better than that Utah Jazz team. Uh, I think they'll get through the Knicks. Honestly, I, I do believe that they will. You know, a lot of people are looking at Julius Randle like that's going to be, you know, end all be all for the Knicks. But I think one thing that a lot of people get confused with this Knicks team is that they can switch it up. You know, they have guys coming off the bench that they can turn it into like more of a high pace type of team where you bring in a, a quickly and maybe you sit Randall down. You don't have to be, you know, that, that slow paced defensive oriented team. I think the Knicks can hang, you know, if it comes to kind of like one of those shootout games where, you know, Mitchell and Garland are just going off running and gunning up the court. I think that um, the Randall, maybe the Randall departure or his injury, if he's limited in any type of way, um, isn't going to be as impactful as some might think. Yeah, I agree with that. This team's b- built on their guards, and it's going to be uh, to be strength versus strength. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, probably at least one or two fourth quarters is, is just going to be who's hotter on that particular night. It's going to be fun to watch. 
All right, so let's talk about the Warriors next. So let's shift over here to the Western Conference. Warriors right now minus 295. They're going to be on the road here against the Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings there, Mac. Uh, let's just call it for what it is. They they were not anybody's three seed going into the NBA playoffs. Yep. You and I talked you know, about all the teams in the West early on, and, and the Kings were not a team that, that we – I mean, we were high on, you know, we, we, we just weren't, you know, I'm not even sure if we even had them in the playoffs at that time, but look, here they are, you know, Fox playing well, Sabonis playing well, but I think they're going to be up against it here against the Warriors. I have a feeling going back to what we talked about in the beginning of this podcast that, you know, the Warriors really didn't care much about the regular season. And I think that there were a lot of things that, that went into that, you know, Curry wasn't exactly a healthy in the entire season. Wiggins missed a ton of time. You know, they had guys at the trade deadline that they dumped and then they brought guys back in. And I feel like this Warriors team is going to be another team on a mission, another team that's just nobody's going to want to see these guys. So could we take the regular season for, you know, what it, I, I think you have to throw it out, Mac. I, that's just where I'm at with this Warriors team. Let's just kind of erase it all. Let's forget that they started out terrible. Their, their road record sucked. You know, Wiggins is going to be back. They're not winning a title without Wiggins. I said this, I don't know how many podcasts ago, but there's no way I would ever pick the Warriors if Wiggins wasn't back in this lineup. In my opinion, Wiggins is kind of like a poor man's KD. You know, he could do some great things defensively, offensively. Um, they they needed that wing player when KD left, and, and Wiggins was a, was a great fit, and they won a title with him. You have DiVincenzo. He's back um, in the lineup. He's playing rather well. I think he's clearly helped their bench out. And then you get Gary Payton back, who defensively, he might be the biggest uh, unsung hero that this team lost that they finally got back. So I don't know what you make of this Warriors team right now there, Mac. But in my opinion, this team right now and the team we saw in the regular season just completely erased them from your mind that these are two totally different teams. I'm very much closer to you than the point of view that says, let's see how they've played from October till April. And that's how good they are. Maybe you make a tweak. Maybe you bump them a point or two for the playoffs. I'm much more like, let's look at them from October 2014 to April 2023. Like, this is a long, tenured squad where we know the personalities. We know the ups and downs. Raymond Green, in some ways, um, is more savvy and better defensively than he has been in the past. He also can't shoot, which he used to be able to do to some degree. Clay Thompson, he's looked very good coming in down this stretch, but we know he doesn't have the defensive pedigree that he used to. Then again, they didn't have Andrew Wiggins for a lot of those runs. I think if you added piece by piece, this is a championship contender, and they're opposed from a Sacramento Kings team that got hot, that has a great home court, that took the season really seriously, that made the playoffs for the first time in 20 years, that has the coach of the year, and is, despite all that, not built to win championships, not with this defensive lineup that's bottom five in the NBA. And Again, going back to this little study I did here, if you just look at uh, wins, regular season wins, historically they've correlated to success, they've correlated to advancement in the playoffs, and so has wins versus expectation, beating the Vegas market. That's all been correlated to success and advancement in the playoffs until the last five years when that's reversed. And teams like the Warriors that were under their Vegas win total actually statistically have proven to have a higher chance of winning the championship and a higher chance of advancing in the playoffs uh, than teams like the Kings. 
that have similar amount of wins, slightly more. They're the three seed, but dominated versus Vegas expectations, vastly overperformed. I think they kind of they kind of uh, shot their shot, and that's that's they did what they needed to do. And now this is the second season where they're not necessarily prepared. Uh, minus two fifty, I've seen out there. I think that's a bet at minus two ninety. The more consensus line, it's definitely a strong lean, but I'll probably. Uh, leave it alone and look it on a game by game basis. But I mean, I get it. 12 and 29 ATS on the road. That, that is a, that is quite a number. That is quite a number. If I just look at the Steve Kerr era, you know, 2014 and on, they've won 58% of their games on the road. The Warriors have up, up streaks, down streaks, championship seasons, missing playoff seasons. Just throw it all together 58% of the time. And in the playoffs, 62% of the time, covering 57% of the time. Steve Kerr has never played a Western Conference opponent in the playoffs and lost that series. Okay, that's something. He's never played any opponent in the playoffs and failed to get a win on the road. One win on the road in this series means they're three home games away from, from advancing. Um, I got a strong lean to the Warriors here. I think this is kind of the textbook example of... Take everything you've just saw for the last five months with a huge boulder of salt and analyze these teams from the ground up. And I think the road favorite makes sense here. I, I like the Warriors. I would probably like them in game one more than any other game outside of maybe like a game seven. But game one, it makes more sense to me. And you're looking at uh, Warriors minus one or Kings minus one. I've seen it waver back and forth, which is interesting because you look at their season matchup. The Kings were never smaller than a four-point underdog. This was back in November. They, you know, they haven't played in a while. The game in April didn't really count. Everybody rested. But the last time these teams were full strength and played each other, the, war, the Kings were a four-point home underdog. Now, fast forward five months later, Kings upgraded, Warriors downgraded, and we're looking at a pick 'em. It's a huge, it's a huge movement. A lot of people would say it's warranted. I'm a little skeptical. Um, makes sense. So, is that what you're looking at, Warriors pick 'em? Warriors pick them, I think, is fine. Minus one, perfectly fine with that. I think that, like we were talking about with like the bye weeks, that the bye week probably does more for this Warriors team than than maybe all these other teams. And a lot of that, like I said, has to do with getting Wiggins back and, and getting Peyton back, you know, for, you know, some time to, to go ahead and just work with all these guys. But I think it's it's more like how much time do you really have to reflect on your season outside of maybe like All-Star Week? And I feel like, you know, the Warriors could go ahead and take a look at, at, you know, who they are now, what they have right now, you know, what their goals are right now, and look at look at going on the road and be like, you know, what were we doing all year long? You, know, you talked about Clay Thompson, and I think that he's probably playing his best basketball over probably like the last three-year period. Now, I get like defensively he hasn't looked great, but I felt like he hit like this weird stride at that point, like when Wiggins went out and Curry was hurt, he and he could end up being like the X factor throughout the entire playoffs for for this Warriors team because Wiggins helps them defensively, Peyton helps them defensively, and I think with if Clay can go ahead and keep up his offensive play that he's been, and he doesn't have to do so much defensively or or get exposed, you know, defensively. Um, that this team could be dangerous on the defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, but but I, I think Clay's going to have a, a monster series. Um, I think they're going to go back to the Splash Brothers. 
uh, just because he's just been so hot. Let's stick on that point on Clay Thompson because it got me thinking. Uh, if De'Aaron Fox is Steph Curry, which is fanciful, but let's just say he's you know elevated that point. Demonte Sabonis is Draymond Green. He's better offensively, worse defensively. All right. So optimistically, those guys cancel out. Now I'm looking at Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes versus Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins. That doesn't seem like a fair fight. I think that really is the heart of why this is uh, why the Warriors are a minus 300 road favorite. I think it's warranted here. If you just look at the playoff experience, Kevin Herter versus Clay Thompson, who you want? It's not really a question. Um, I want the guy that's been there and done that before. And I think that maybe one of my main reasons here, Mac, for looking at the Warriors in game one is that the Kings are, are really excited to be here. You know, do they belong here? Yes, they do. But I worry that that this team and the crowd and, and everybody just comes in here and they're sky high. And look, maybe if it was against, I don't know. I mean, I could pick a lot of other teams, maybe out West or any team in the league, for, for instance. But I think a Warriors team that 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 understands that this team's going to come firing right out of the gates, that they need to weather the storm a little bit and how to do that. The one thing about the Warriors, they could shoot themselves right back into a basketball game. It don't matter. They could be down 12, and before you know it, they're up eight. And I feel like the Kings might come in here with this huge burst of energy, and I would actually maybe consider taking a look at them maybe in like the first quarter. But then I think that they deflate like a, like a flat tire if the Warriors – are within striking distance or they go on one of those patent, you know, buzzsaw type of runs. And then I think that's where the game changes because I feel like the, the Kings are going to be like, ah, damn, the champs are here. And then the crowd deflates, the team deflates. They're just on this big, huge emotional high. Like, Hey, we're here, dude. It's a playoff game. Like this is amazing. And they maybe get a little starstruck. So that was kind of where my thoughts are at there, Mac, as well. One of the other reasons why I kind of like the Warriors a lot here in game one. The line's interesting to me because it's almost the same line that the Warriors were favored by uh, one point in Memphis at that series. And that actually was my on pregame.com series of the year. Uh, it got there, Warriors minus 200. But in retrospect, uh, the Grizzlies were a much more formidable opposition than the Kings were. Now, you could say the Warriors are not the team they were last year. I think they're pretty close roster-wise. You know, they're pretty close. Peyton back, Wiggins back, assuming that all that all comes to fruition. Uh, so just make that comparison. Who do you want to play? The Grizzlies of last year, the Kings of this year? To me, it's not close. I think the Warriors are are uh, amped to win this series in six, maybe even five games. All right, I'm kind of with you there too. I, I I don't see how the how the Kings get more than than two uh, from the Warriors, but we'll see. So Mac, I do have a best bet coming up here in the next series, but it wouldn't be fair. If I didn't talk about what you did last year in the playoffs, it's hard to explain how good you were last year. You were up 50 units in the playoffs. Some guys go their entire career, Mac, and and they can't put 50 units together across an NBA season. And that's no bullshit. That That's the truth. And the fact that you did that in the playoffs last year was like simply amazing. And look, and this is one of those things like you guys sit down and you listen to us on these podcasts. You listen to me and you listen to Mac and we, we put our thoughts together. But, you know, this is on him. It, it, at the end of the day, it's up to him to go ahead and put out his plays and release them. And, I mean, it was nothing short of amazing. If you guys are looking to go ahead and buy picks and you're looking for uh, somebody that's going to give you the best information possible at the best time possible, uh, my personal recommendation would be to go and buy McKenzie. Now, you could buy any other pro there at pregame. 
But my personal recommendation is buy McKenzie if you're going to be betting the NBA playoffs. It'll probably pay for itself after three games, to be honest with you. And if you guys want to save 20%, you can do that. Simply enter code RIVERS20 and go get McKenzie, honestly. I mean, you're going to learn a lot um, in NBA professional handicapping that not only can you guys use this year, but you'll be able to use that for as long as you guys are probably betting the NBA. And if, if you keep in contact with Mac as, as the changes come in, you know, you guys will, you know, be updated. But there's going to be so much good information there that, that you guys don't want to miss out on. And obviously, up 50 units. Like I said, some dudes don't do that in their entire career over the course of an NBA season. Mac, I've been doing this for 12 years now with pregame. I've never had a 50-unit NBA season. So what you did last year was remarkable. So... You know, kudos to you, my man. That's much appreciated, and you were definitely a big part of it. Uh, not only the forty units you were up, you know, not too shabby, not too you're doing pretty well this season. Uh, just, I don't think there was a play, a major play that I had that I wasn't curious what a sleepy think about it. And that's part of the fun of this podcast, where uh, we bring our best ideas, and we don't always necessarily agree down the line. You think there's some value on the Nets? I'm a little more skeptical at this upcoming series with the Sixers, but. Um, you know, it's definitely a lot of fun, and reach out to me. If you're a subscriber, or even if you're not, reach out to me on Twitter, at Mac and Rivers. Um, a few of my subscribers have become, you know, regular conversants, and it, uh, it I, I won't lie, it adds a little bit of pressure. I definitely want to see some positive messages on my on my, on my my DMs, which happens with a win, less often with a loss, but it's just a lot of fun uh, as well just to have, a, you know, have that back and forth, you know, what do you think about this? This line changed, this guy's out. It helps you, hopefully, if I'm if I'm giving you my best insight. It also helps me to think about games in different ways. So reach out to me on Twitter. And yeah, check me out at pregame.com. It's been a lot of fun, and it's been profitable. Hope to keep it going. I love talking to the guys on Twitter. You want me to tell you one of the reasons why I love talking to them? Because it's like having an extra set of eyes. Those guys will come to me and they'll be like, Sleepy, you know, what do you like tonight? This, that, and the other. You know, what do you think about this? Hey, did you notice that? Da, 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 da. And you get a lot of information from people on Twitter, especially like when they're like, you know, there might be a New Orleans Pelicans fan and they're like, you know, we're pro pro Pelicans. So not only are they friends, not only are they fans of the team, but now they become fans of us because, you know, we were talking positive about them. Some people like to go on podcasts and just go and trash all the teams. I think that that's a big mistake. So that's just my opinion. You kind of want to keep your keep your friends if you can. But I get a ton of information on Twitter. Honestly, I do. I mean, there's guys in there that will say, you know, hey, this is coming down. And some people, you never know who they're connected to or where they get their information. And some of it, I don't want to say it's inside information, but some people are are connected, you know, pretty tight to some of these professional teams or college teams. And you do get really good information. So uh, it's wise to go ahead and build your circle out, especially, especially on Twitter. Hopefully you, you go ahead and you sell some NBA stuff there because if, if you don't, I'll be quite surprised because obviously last year, you know, your your work speaks for itself. So What's that coupon code again? It's Rivers20. Enter that there at pregame.com. Save 20% right now on Mackenzie Rivers or anything there at pregame.com. Mac, it's time for my best bet. Let's do it. All right. So let's go to the other Western Conference matchup here. We got the Suns minus 500 as a series price against the L.A. Clippers. A lot of people are going to talk about Paul George and his health. And is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Is he going to come back, you know, for maybe a second round? They're not going to see the second round. That ain't happening. They're not beating the Suns team. I think the question we have to ask ourselves 
is this current Clippers team good enough to win a game or win this series? It's Kawhi Leonard, it's Norm Powell, it's Russell Westbrook. Like that's the the LA Clipper big three right now. Here's the problem that I see with this current Clipper team is that they're nowhere near as good as as the Suns. The Suns have Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton. They're covered everywhere that they need to be covered. Arguably, this is the best team in the league. But I think that they run right through this Clippers team. Some people might think they win a game. Some people might think they win two. I think it's going to be a struggle for them to win one game. Uh, if they do it on the last second shot, that would not surprise me. I think that that's probably about as much margin as this team could probably get. Now, look, I get it. It's Kawhi Leonard. You know, he's the claw. He can go out there and he can maybe go out there and shut KD down. But you're not going to shut down Devin Booker. He's, in my opinion, I think he has a monster series here against the Clippers. Uh, Russell Westbrook, in my opinion, hey, look, he's done great things here with the Clippers. You know, got away from LeBron and those guys with the Lakers. Maybe that was a big help. But at some point or another, Russell Westbrook's going to try to do too much. And the one thing I think that you need to be against this Suns team, and I think it comes down to the Suns and whoever the next most efficient team is, you better be efficient against this Suns team. And that's not Norm Powell. Norm Powell could go out there and have a monster game, but he'll shoot you out of a game. And Russell Westbrook, he's just not that efficient. Could he help on the glass? Could he help assist in the basketball? Sure, yeah, he could do those things. But, Mac, I think that this comes down to kind of an efficiency thing. Devin Booker's too accurate. KD's a sniper. The dude's too accurate. Aiton on the inside is just too accurate. He doesn't take a whole hell of a lot of bad shots. And Chris Paul... He's going to set the guys up exactly where they need to be. And whatever shots Chris Paul takes, those are like his his bread and butter shots, like where the dude, he generally doesn't miss those. And he's not going to take them unless he needs to. So I think that it's going to take a team to have like this insane efficiency in order to take them down for one game and a complete series. And I don't see the Clippers doing that in any game. So I'm going to go ahead and give my best bet here. I'll say... Series minus one and a half. You could play that right now for the Suns at minus 195. You can get that on FanDuel. Uh, I think they win this 4-1 or 4-0. I do not see the Clippers getting any more than one game. I think it's going to be a struggle for them to get one. So my best bet is going to be the Phoenix Suns. I think the best team in the league right now. I think they absolutely buzzsaw this Clippers team. And I think even with Paul George, that there's a chance that they can get one game, but I, I honestly don't see anybody getting two off of this Suns team. Um, that's just not not this strong. So that's where I'm at there, Mac. I don't know if you agree, disagree. I know a lot of people think the Clippers are going to get two. I don't think they get one. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they get blown right out of here. It wouldn't shock me either. And the more I dive into this series, I'll be honest, The first, my first blush was, you can't make Kawhi Leonard a 4-1 to underdog. You can't do it. The last time he was in the playoffs versus the Mavericks, he literally was Superman, scoring 40 a game on amazing efficiency, being the best defensive player on the court. But this is a very different team without Paul George. And you talk about efficiency. As good as Kawhi's been in the playoffs, Russell Westbrook, since the KD days, since post the KD days, has been maybe one of the worst postseason players in comparing to his regular season performance. And it makes sense with all that intensity, with all that, I'm going to do everything. 
when it slows down in the playoffs and people get a second and third look at you and they can start making adjustments, that bull in a China shop mentality ends up being, uh, you know, you knock yourself out of games more than you pull yourself into games a lot of times. So here are the numbers. Since 2016-17, 38% shooting from the floor in the playoffs, five turnovers per game. You talk about, yeah, he helps on the glass. Ten rebounds per game, that's great for a guard. Eight and a half assists per game, that's great for a guard. 25 points per game. You don't win any games regardless of what your positive stats are if you're turning over the ball five times per game and if your best shooter's shooting 38% from the floor. So here's how I would play it. I don't mind your bet. If you're thinking it's a six-game series or sooner, I do agree with you. Devin Booker's going to go off. Kawhi and KD's going to largely X each other out, and I think Devin Booker's the X factor that's going to be the difference in the series. I think he scores 30 points per game. I would look at his points prop over. However, if you, like me, are a big Kawhi Leonard fan, and if you think Ty Lue's Clippers, like me, um, have been underrated at different points in their tenure and, and, and have a chance to make some noise, just play Kawhi over. Just play Kawhi points, rebounds, and assists over. I don't see a scenario where the Clippers do well and Kawhi Leonard doesn't do everything like he did in the last playoff series he was healthy for. Short of that, I mean, I could easily see scooping both where Suns win and cover, but Kawhi does well. I can't see the other way around. Where Kawhi has a quiet game and the Clippers make this a seven-game series or a quiet series and the Clippers make it a seven-game series. So, um Yep, that's, that's, that's how I would look at it. I don't mind your bet. at uh, I do think the Suns roll here. And the more I dive into it, um, Russell Westbrook versus Devin Booker. That's, that's very efficient and getting better versus inefficient and arguably getting worse at this point in his career. That's really how this series is going to go, in my opinion. So, Mac, let me ask you two questions here. I want to go back to the beginning of the year. The Suns title odds. Because I remember we were talking about that team, and I don't want to say maybe we were down on them, but when we were looking at their title odds, we were like, how are the Suns, like, favored to – I don't – they weren't favored to win the title, but there were, there were some odds out there that were just, like, insane. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I kind of feel like maybe the odds in the beginning of the year are almost identical to what they are now when with the title odds. Can you go back to that? and find like maybe the beginning of the year for the Suns and then tell me what they were. And then obviously right now, what are they to win the title? Like five to one or something like that. I don't feel like it was that far off. So sure. Last year after the playoffs, the Suns had been the number one Western team. They didn't have the best odds in the West, but they weren't far off. They were 12 to one. Only team with better odds in the West were the Warriors at six to one. Uh, Grizzlies were 15 to one. Lakers were 16 to one. There was a, there was a, there was a big group in the middle, but the Suns and the Warriors were clearly better. Well, the season starts. They're 14 to 1 in October. They're 18 to 1 in January. So they they kind of dipped, especially remember that stretch where Devin Booker was hurt and they went like 4 and 17. And then February 10th trade deadline from 18 to 1 to plus 450. And we thought they were favored to win the West like sometime in December, and we thought that's crazy. You know, any other team should be favored in the West, in the Pacific. But I think your and my mindset changed quite significantly when they went from 18 to 1 without Kevin Durant to plus 450 favorites in the West with Kevin Durant. And it really hasn't changed a lot since then. Uh, he got hurt, went to 6 to 1 or abouts. Uh, now that he's played well and he's been healthy, plus 425 is our pregame consensus. Third favorite to win the title, first favorite in the West. How many games have the Suns lost with KD on the floor? I, I maybe it was it like one. It was zero. It was zero games. 
Zero. Mm. So you bring in arguably the best player in, in the NBA to your team. Why is this team not favored to win the title? Because I was looking at title odds before. Let me just click on this again just to make sure I wasn't seeing this incorrectly. The Milwaukee Bucks right now are the favorite to win the title at plus 240. You're probably looking at FanDuel. FanDuel, I think they have like an agreement with Milwaukee. All their odds are askew. If you want to bet the Bucks, bet them anywhere else. Uh, three to one is our consensus number. Let me tell you this. And this is for anybody that are betting the Bucks to win the title. You're throwing your money in the garbage. <laughs> this team's not winning the title. I don't. I, I honestly do not believe that this team's even going to make the Eastern Conference Finals. This team is one of the most overrated teams I've seen in the NBA, maybe over the last ten years. There's a lot of people in support of this Bucks team. I'm not one of them. This team, they're not going to beat Boston, and I honestly think that that Philadelphia could beat them. Uh, I don't want to say easily, but I think Philly gives them a, a, more than more than they they can handle. So. I'm not in favor of the Bucks. This Suns team will, I think, will will beat the brakes off them, and I think the Warriors could beat them up pretty good too. So I I don't know how the Bucks are even fit. How are the Bucks favored, Mac? Like, is it just because they won all these games and they and and they're, they they finished with the best record in the East and the best record in the league? Because I can probably pull out five or six teams that I would take hands down over them. It just doesn't make any sense. Like when I when I look at at the odd screen throughout the day this is like the most insane thing that i've seen didn't we pull something out last year mac where we were doing a podcast and i was like that doesn't make any damn sense and i don't remember what the hell the bet was maybe it was the suns to win the western conference like did where i think i kind of had like the same feeling i was like that team's not winning the, the the pacific maybe it was something like that it was something crazy but that's exactly how i feel right now about this bucks team they should not be the title favorites. I couldn't agree more. I, I don't understand what's changed from the beginning of the season where they were right there with the Celtics, not at three to one, but at six to one, and right there with the Warriors, and you're a little bit ahead of the Clippers and a little bit ahead of the Suns. What's happened? They've proven to be a very deep team. Well, that's not something that's really going to help you in the playoffs. Javon Carter, he's a great ninth man, probably don't play nine men in the playoffs. And Everywhere else, Giannis has had a little bit of a down season, you know, still excellent MVP-like type numbers. Drew Holiday probably had his, one of his better years. Chris Middleton had by far his worst year as part of this quote-unquote big three in Milwaukee. I don't see it either. I don't see this team as head and shoulders above the Sixers or the Celtics, and they have a lot better odds. And I really don't see this team. I mean, think about this. The 2021 finals, Phoenix was the home team. Milwaukee had to hurt Giannis, but, you know, they were considered about even teams. Giannis comes back, maybe they were considered a little bit better than the Suns. Fast forward, Chris Middleton's not the same player. Giannis is probably about the same player. Chris Paul, yeah, he's a little worse than he used to be. Devin Booker's probably a little better than he used to be. Same thing with DeAndre Ayton, just with their natural age curve. Oh, yeah, and you added Kevin Durant to the team. That's a factor. That's a factor that makes you from about an even team to a significantly better team. Now I get it. No one's ever traded for their best player and won a championship. Rasheed Wallace was a very good player. He wasn't at Kevin Durant's stature when the Detroit Pistons got him in 2004. Um, Moses Malone, back in the 80s when he joined the Sixers, he joined them at the beginning of the year. They had that whole season to get acclimated. That said, if there's one player that can do it, that can get in where he fits in right away, I think it's the Slim Reaper. And he just finished a season where he put up 29 points per game, 
seven rebounds, five assists on 56, 40, and 90 shooting. Never did, but never did done before. <laughs> it's never been done before by a player scoring eight points per game. By a player scoring 29 points per game to put up that kind of efficiency, literally unheard of. And I think he's going to walk away as the finals MVP this season, most likely. All right. So it sounds like we kind of know who is going to be maybe your finals pick there, which we'll do here at the end of the podcast. You think the Warriors can beat him? That's, that's, that's the, I feel like knowing you, 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 you might, you might have the Warriors ahead of them. All right. Well, I'm going to save that. Let's do it now. Let's do it. Nope, right. I'm going to save that take and, and I'll give you a crazy take, but you want me to show you how to gain some fans here, Mac? I actually think if the yes. Lakers face the Bucks, let's just say hypothetically in the finals that the Lakers could beat that team. Like, the fact that the Lakers are 21 to 1 and the Bucs are plus 240, um, I don't think the Bucs are, are that much better than the Lakers. So that's where I'm at with that. So, it, anyway, talking about the Lakers, they got to go and they got to play the Grizzlies there, Mac. Grizzlies right now, series price, let's call it 135 right now on Fandle. I, let's go back to what we were talking about with the Warriors, but this team is, is drastically different too. They made a bunch of trades at the trade deadline. Uh, dumped a lot of dead weight, brought guys in. Could we even look at the regular season there, Mac, with this Lakers team? Or do we have to look maybe, let's just say, like the last 10 games? Because LeBron was in there. He They were 6-2 and two with him. They were 8-2 and two over like the last 10. Like I feel like if we take any sample of the regular season for the Lakers, like we have to just take like maybe like the last 10, 12 games. And, and that's really it. And, and who they – like I mean, you could take AD, you know, the last 20 – 30 games, he's been nothing but short of amazing. But this Lakers team is not the same Laker team that we saw all year long. That A lot of people didn't think we were going to make the playoffs. I was one of them. But this team's clearly not the same team that we saw uh, throughout the regular season. So I don't know what you make of the Lakers right now. I think they're live to win this. I think this is going to be maybe arguably the best series that we see in the first round. I'm on the fence big time with this series because I know Memphis is good. But I think the Lakers might be a lot, of a lot better than a lot of people think. So, I want to hear your thoughts, and and this is something that that's that I certainly want to have my ears open for. Yeah. So the Lakers last thirty days, fifth best net rating in the league. Last fourteen days, talk about that small sample size you're talking about, second best net rating in the league. Now a lot of the better teams weren't necessarily all in the last thirty days, last two weeks. Lakers have been, and they've played their best basketball. Anthony Davis, you mentioned, player of the month. In the Western Conference in March and April, that was one of the quieter player of the months for a former, you know, MVP level player. Uh, not a lot of people talk about Anthony Davis, but he's playing his best basketball at least since the bubble. And I'm in two minds of this again. Nuance. I think the Lakers are not as good as they've played. I think they've had a very easy schedule, and I think if you look at the two most representative games against the Clippers, run off the gym. The game was never very close. I know it ended up being like a seven-point game. A lot of shenanigans down the stretch. It wasn't a close game. Clippers seemed to be 90% to win the entire time. And then let's look at the play-in game. They beat the Timberwolves. They won in overtime. Good defensive performance. Timberwolves were without two of their their top seven players. Their two best defensive players. LeBron's Lakers still only scored 95 points in regulation. 80s Lakers still only scored 95 points against a team without their big men defenders. That should have been a problem. It wasn't. And if you look at the second half, 17 free throws for the Lakers, three for the Timberwolves, all in that last second shot by Mike Conley to force overtime. 
that seems skewed. That seems like something that people are noticing. People have talked about the free throw disparity throughout the season. It's not like the Lakers have an excessive amount of points in the paint compared to other teams. They just have a lot of free throws. I feel like that's going to normalize itself a little bit in the playoffs. All that said, I don't think the Lakers are a contender. I don't think they're a top five team. I take these most recent numbers with a grain of salt, and I think the free throw disparity will somewhat come back to reality uh, as we get closer and closer, as we get deeper and deeper in the playoffs. I still think they're live in this series. I still think they're very live in this series because the Grizzlies, everything they want to do is right in the middle. And I feel like the Lakers with Reeves, Vanderbilt, Anthony Davis, even LeBron, big body. I feel like they're going to make it very difficult for the Grizzlies to score. And if you look at the season series, Lakers really never played them when they were healthy and they still ended up taking two out of three. Now that the Lakers are healthy, uh, I think they're just as good. And I'm not sure if the home court advantage will make the difference, but I think this is they are they're very live underdogs. Interesting, the market's going the other way. Grizzlies have gone from minus 120 to minus 140 in some spots. I kind of uh, the more I, the more I look at it, I think the Lakers are live here. Memphis would probably have trouble if they couldn't shoot from the outside. Like I feel like they're actually a pretty half decent out, outside shooting team. You know, you got guys like uh, like Bain. I think he could probably have a pretty big series. Obviously, John Morant's going to be running around. It's going to be tough, I think, for guys like LeBron to go ahead and try to keep up with him. Uh, D'Angelo Russell might struggle. Outside of, like, AD and LeBron, I just don't think that the Lakers have enough probably to get through this series. I don't want to bet against LeBron and AD. I think maybe a good bet here, Mac, and I think it was like a month or two ago, we went ahead and we gave out, like, Jaron Jackson points, rebounds, assists under because we felt like he was going to gobble up all the all the fouls. This series tells me that there is a very good chance that Jackson doesn't see the floor a whole hell of a lot uh, because he's going to be in foul trouble in each and every game. Like if you have LeBron and AD and those guys, you, we know they're going to attack the glass, attack the paint. I could see Jaron Jackson Jr. ended up sitting out and like six minutes into the first quarter, very playing very little in the second and then picking up like his fourth foul in the third, fifth and third. Like I just, I could see a whole hell of a lot of, uh, a whole hell of a lot of scrambling when it comes to the Grizzlies, when it comes to what, what they're going to have to do with Jaron Jackson. And obviously Steven Adams, I mean, we know the situation there. What do you think, uh, Mac? Let's just say it goes seven games, right? Jaron Jackson, PRA. I have to win money if I just blanket bet him under in every game, right? I think so. I think so, and here's why. Whatever his averages are, it's going to be skewed by a game where he has 35 and 20. But you look at the season series, he had five fouls in only 25 minutes the last time these teams met up, and that was versus the Lakers team without LeBron James. That was just Anthony Davis he had to worry about. He's a very foul-prone player. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. There's going to be three or four games. Even if his averages are good, even if he has some big games, the majority of the time either he'll go slightly under or a lot under if he's only playing 20 minutes because of foul trouble. And I think if they're looking to go ahead and, and let's just say they're trying to get the Lakers through because I think the NBA tries to do stuff like that. Um, they're looking for somebody that you know that that's an easy target. It's a guy who ends up racking up a ton of fouls all the time and ends up you know getting bounced out of games. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see Jaron Jackson Jr. go under his points, rebounds, and assists a lot in this series. So with that out of the way, let's go ahead. Let's jump over to our final one here there, Mac. And then we can go ahead and get into your best bet. And then maybe we'll go ahead. We'll give out our title picks there. Celtics right now, minus 1,200 against Atlanta. Look, the Celtics are, I don't want to say they're, they're, 
the best team in the East, but I think that they clearly make a case for that. But I'll make a case here, Mac, that, that Atlanta gets two games off these guys, and I don't think anybody's going to think that. I think this series is going to be a whole hell of a lot tougher than anybody thinks. Uh, one of the reasons why, I think Atlanta actually is better than what they were last year, and Atlanta's better than the team that ended up making the Eastern Conference Final a couple years ago. Uh, one, they bring in Murray. I think mid-range, you're okay there. I think with Trey Young, you're good from the outside. Those two guys get to the rack a lot. I think they steal at least one game for sure, but I wouldn't be shocked if they end up winning two games in this series. I wouldn't be surprised if this series is tied at 1.22. So I would just be careful laying like two and a half games or, or picking Boston to go ahead and sweep. I just don't think that that's the case. And, and kind of going back to like, you know, the, the, the Philadelphia mindset, like what's Boston's goal here? Get back to the finals and win a title. Like, I don't think they're thinking game one against Atlanta, game two against Atlanta, even going on the road. So I just have a feeling like they might overlook this Atlanta team. And, and we saw what happened the other night when, when Atlanta went into Miami. Miami was, what, a five-point favorite? That team was getting absolutely drilled. I would be careful messing with with some series prices with the Celtics. I think that that, that series is going to be a little bit closer than people think. I agree, and I think it's going to be closer than, for example, the Sixers net series, and the Celtics are significantly bigger favorites. So I think there's a little bit of a misalignment there. And what I liked most from the Hawks in that game against the Heat was their offense. It was very balanced. Uh, DeJounte Murray picking up right where Trey Young left off. Trey Young uh, not doing too much, but he still had his 25. And you look at the regular season matchup, there's been three games combined. Those three games have gone over by 25 points. Celtics averaging 127 versus Hawks team and the Hawks averaging 114. So the Celtics have won handily in some high scoring affairs. Keep in mind, Robert Williams was not available for, for any of those three games. So maybe it's a little bit slower paced, but in general, I think this is a strength versus strength. I think we see a lot of offense here, maybe not 240 points per game, but let me see the first total set at 230. I think it's gonna be a little bit higher than that on average. So I generally like unders in the playoffs. In this matchup, I think it leans towards both offenses, and I, I, I lean towards the over. The only thing that worries me about Atlanta, like I get that they can get, you know, they can get beaten in this series and stuff like that, but you, you do have to wonder, like with the defense that they play, and it's it's absolutely terrible. I think what do they have like a bottom three or bottom four defense in the league? The Celtics can score so many damn points. Like this team, they could put up 130 on you without batting an eyelash. I guess that's the only thing that worries me. And going up against maybe like a Heat team. Like the Heat could score points, but they're not they're not anywhere near what the Celtics are. I just wonder if it's kinda like a shock like a kind of like a, a shock back to reality, like, oh shit, like we gotta play, you know, an offensive juggernaut type team and it just kinda shocks maybe Atlanta a little bit. Can they keep up and is it just basically like the defense that separates these two teams? Because if it is the defense, then I guess maybe Atlanta could get swept. I mean, that that is possible. You could you kinda just talked me into Hawks first half. I feel like the Hawks uh, will wear down. They just played in the play-in. But talking about catching a team off guard, especially with the offense that they have, uh, Hawks' first half might make sense for game one. All right. Well, that's one of the reasons why we talked through these, so we can kind of squeeze out wagers and figure out what we do like. Um, how about you give your best bet? I think it's time for that, and then we'll go ahead and we'll get into our title picks. All right. We just talked about this game, the Hawks game, but I don't want the Hawks. I want the Bulls because this is the same line, and I think it's disrespectful for – I'm going to say my Chicago Bulls, even though I bet against them all season. But the Bulls are catching five Friday at Miami. 
and Miami just lost brutally to a Hawks team. And I think if you look into the particulars of that game, it wasn't that close. The Heat fourth quarter comeback and all, Tyler Hero going off and all, Kyle Lowry going 11 for 16, 33 points. He wasn't even going to play if if starting point guard Gabe Vincent, Gabe Vincent didn't get hurt in the first quarter. So they kind of had a miracle on offense, and they scored 103 points. So against a Bulls team that's looked better and better, you know, since they lost Lonzo Ball, they've kind of been adrift defensively. Well, Alex Caruso and Patrick Beverly combined kind of fill that role where they have offense from Levine, they have offense from DeRozan. They just need their point guards to, you know, muck up the middle. That's what they did against Toronto. That's what I think they have an advantage to do against Miami because Jimmy Butler doesn't want to handle the ball 94 feet. Doesn't have the energy to do that and still put up 30, which he's probably going to have to do to be competitive in this game. Did not like what I saw from Bam Adebayo offensively, so that's going to put the onus back on Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero. I think the Bulls' guards have are very well positioned to cause havoc against a Heat team that hasn't had a very good offense all season. So I was looking at the team total, but I think you know Bulls kind of got away with one with all the free throws missed. The Heat do shoot a lot of free throws. So this might be a little higher scoring game than we're used to in the play-in, but I think the Bulls, at the end of the day, are being disrespected here, saying they're three points worse than the Heat. Nothing the last six months, I'm sorry, since the beginning of the year, since January, nothing would indicate the Heat are a little better than the Bulls, let alone three points. So I'm going to take the Bulls and take in the five points here. One of the things I don't like is when a guy who typically doesn't go out there and put up 30 points in a, in a game tries to go back out there and tries to do the same damn thing again. I think that that's going to hurt the Heat here. And look, I, I get it. Like, you know, Kyle Rowler, he's had big games in his career. Um, at one point, he was one of the better players in the league. But, you know, asking him to go ahead and duplicate what he did in the last game is it's just going to be it's going to be tough. And Jimmy Butler. I think he's going to have just as tough time in this game against Chicago as he did against as he did against Atlanta. I mean, he was I don't want to say he was miserable, but I mean, anywhere near the rim, uh, Jimmy Butler just wasn't. I mean, it didn't look like playoff Jimmy to me. So I'd be with you there, Mac. I, you know what I wish? I wish like Lonzo Ball was still on this team because this team, this Chicago team could actually be really dangerous, you know, if they had a really good point guard on, on their on their roster. So. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see what the Bulls can do. So that'll be Mac's best bet. They're going to go ahead and take Chicago. But, Mac, let's go. Let's give out uh, our title picks. I'm going to let you go first. I'm, I'm going to let you go first because I, I have a feeling we both have the same pick. But then we can make the argument why, um, you know, throughout. So you go ahead and give out the pick. Why don't you just go ahead and give the Suns out to win the title? <laughs> yeah, there's different odds. I'm sorry. There's different title picks that you can make here in Vegas, and they mean different things. A lot of times – who do you think is going to win the championship? And a lot of the time, it's at the current odds, who do you think provides the most value to go ahead and win the championship? To me, it's the same answer. It's the Phoenix Suns. The fact that they're not title favorites, despite having arguably the best player in the NBA, arguably the best duo in the NBA with Booker and Durant, and clearly the top four in the NBA. Um, I get history. I get how cohesion matters. But hey, they're playing in the Olympics. They're playing in the summer. These guys know each other very well. And I think they're ready to win a championship. So uh, talent wins at the end of the day. They have an easier path than a team like the Celtics or Milwaukee. So clear choice for me, the Phoenix Suns, most likely and best odds to win the championship. Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time before the Suns actually become the favorite. I think that the Bucks are going to look vulnerable 
I think we just talked about the Celtics maybe looking a little vulnerable. But what happens with the Suns' odds, Mac, if they go out there and they do what I kind of think they're going to do and just absolutely bulldoze the Clippers? Do we see like a three-team kind of thing where, you know, maybe like the Suns, the Celtics, the Bucks, they're all somewhere around, you know, let's just say like plus 293 to 1, where they actually like realize like, okay, like this team is really good, that there's not a whole hell of a lot of separation maybe between, you know, those those three teams in particular. I agree. And it, the path is going to become a lot easier. Right now, arguably the Suns have the hardest path because they have a real series in round one, arguably against the Clippers. The Bucks likely are not going to have a real series. The Celtics, we know the odds are minus 1,200 to beat the Hawks at the end of the day. However, after round one, when the Bucks are going to be against the Cavs most likely, Celtics against the Sixers, it's going to be a lot nicer to be on the Western Conference bracket. And I think at that point, after round one, the Suns will be the favorites. All right. Well, I think the Suns are going to meet the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. And for me, it comes down to efficiency. It comes down to the play in the middle. And look, I don't think the Warriors have a DeAndre Ayton on that team uh, that could protect the rim that's as efficient as he is. And look, I get it. Like the Warriors can go out there and the way that Clay's playing and you got Curry out there, like those guys can go out there, they'll shoot your lights out. But I feel like maybe like the one the one guy that actually determines that entire series is actually Chris Paul. Is that he's gonna be able to do whatever he needs to do to get his guys in the right spot. He's gonna be able to calm everybody down. Um, they're not gonna get in each other's heads. Um, but like I guess maybe, you know, I don't wanna say that that Clay um, is going to have a bad series or Curry's going to have a bad series. But look, Wiggins is just coming back. You know, you don't know how he's going to be. Uh, you don't know how Draymond's going to be. You know, might he wear down? Might he get frustrated? Um, it's either the Warriors or the Suns for me are going to win the title. I would love to pick the Warriors here there, Mac. I, I really would. But there's too many things. I think there's just too many moving pieces right now uh, for me to go ahead and pick them. It's the Suns for me. They're just too damn good. And I don't want to go in and, and say, well, Boston's going to win because we've seen Tatum crumble. Uh, I don't think Boston's as good as they were last year. And they might be hungrier. I don't know. But at some point, I think that here, here's what I'll say. If Boston plays the Warriors, let's just say in the finals, I think Boston stands a better chance because they want revenge. But if they play Phoenix in the finals, they're going to be scared shitless. I think maybe – I don't even want to say they were scared last year. I don't think that they were scared last year. I think they were actually um, looking forward to taking down the champs. But, man, if you got to play Phoenix and you're Boston, because I think Boston probably stands the best chance in the Eastern Conference, I think they go in there – I think they go in there shook. I don't know if you agree with that, Mac, but I think outside of Boston, I don't think Giannis would be worried. I don't even think Embiid would be worried. But I could see Boston kind of going in the, into the finals being shook, being like, damn, we thought maybe we would get the Warriors back and we would be able to get over to home. It was like, now KD's, not, now KD's on the Suns. It's like, damn. That's kind of where I think maybe Boston's mindset is, and I think maybe Tatum could crumble again. Well, the Celtics have one thing in their advantage, mentally versus Kevin Durant. They're probably the only team in NBA history to sweep somebody as good as Kevin Durant, which they did last year. Uh, and Jason Tatum outplayed him in all four games. So. Um, 
I think the youth and inexperience, you know, is lessening now that the Celtics have made a finals run. I still think it is a factor, and I would still favor in I would favor Phoenix over them. But I don't think it's going to be because they're scared. I think it's just going to be their. It's going to be because they're outmanned. I mean that makes sense too. I, I, and I don't want to disagree with that. I would say I don't know who you're picking for your Eastern Conference Finals uh, matchup there, Mac. But I'm going to go with Philly, and I'll go with Boston. I think those are clearly the two best teams in the East. I think Milwaukee gets bounced out of there in the second round. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with that. So I guess it's going to be Boston and it's going to be Phoenix. And I think Phoenix probably takes them down maybe four games to two. Well, I don't want to have the exact same scenario, but when I think about what's likely, I think Boston's going to beat Milwaukee. Uh, they've outscored them by nine points per game the last two years in the 14 matchups they've played each other. So more than 130 points. The Celtics versus the Bucks. The Celtics are beating them by over the last two years. I don't think that's nothing. I think you look at the way the Bucks play defense. They allow a lot of threes. Who makes a lot of threes? Well, the Warriors do, number one in the NBA, and the Celtics do, number two in the NBA. Uh, so I think Boston gets out of the East. And like you, like I said, I think Phoenix wins the championship. All right, so there you guys go. There's our championship pick there. Uh, I think five to one, if you can get that, that you have to bet that now. That that number, yeah, that number is only going to go down, and it's going to start with game one when they go and they play the Clippers and they beat them up, and then it, it's gone. It's gone forever. So, oh, five to one for the Suns to win the championship. We were talking in pre-production about Jason Tatum five to one to win NBA Finals. I see some value there because I don't think I don't see another Celtic winning it, and Boston probably has about a five to one chance to win the championship. Yeah. Um, so I was going through and I'm looking at NBA Finals odds and I and I brought that up and I was like, what do you think about Tatum five to one and win MVP? Because if Boston wins, how does Tatum not get the MVP? I mean, clearly he's going to be the MVP. So I feel like you know you can get Boston right now. What are their odds to win the title there, Mac? Like plus three twenty or something like that. Yeah, three thirty consensus. Yeah, so I feel like and look. And, if anybody goes down in the Western Conference teams, you know, whether it's Curry, KD, like they become a big, big favorite. And if I could get five to one on them now, like that's kind of where I feel like I'm at with, with with Tatum being the MVP. I think that that's probably – that might actually be the, the only MVP wager that I make and just because I think that there's value in that. It makes sense. You got to let them hold your money for a couple months, but uh, I do see value in Tatum at five to one. All right, so we'll go ahead and give you guys that. So you got a big rush of wagers there at the end there of the podcast, but um, glad to go ahead and sit down with Mac. Obviously, this was a little choppy. We kind of just wanted to go ahead and freestyle this one for you. But as, um, you know, with these matchups get closer and closer to, you know, these guys tipping off in a couple of days here, you know, I'll try to go ahead and get Mac back on and, and kind of do, you know, more of a game-by-game breakdown. But uh, like I said in the beginning, if you guys want to go ahead and make some money, make sure you guys go to pregame.com. Subscribe to Mackenzie Rivers, buy his NBA playoff package. You guys can go ahead and save 20% with that. Rivers, 20. And make sure you guys tune into the Dream Podcast. If you're not following the feed, make sure you do that. Uh, Mackenzie and RJ are going to have a special podcast uh, Thursday night with Steve Fezzik. So you guys do not want to miss that. They'll go ahead and give you guys even more wagers. So make sure you guys stay locked in. Follow Mackenzie and I on Twitter at Mac and Rivers at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Make sure you guys get over there to pregame.com. Sign up if you haven't signed up because you guys can get a quick $25 free dollars and you can go ahead and get uh, maybe McKenzie's first pick of the NBA playoffs here uh, once we kick off the first round. But with that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck.
Enjoy the game.